So we're going to get into uh, the actual text of Deuteronomy this week. Pastor Dave did a wonderful, wonderful job of giving us kind of the background, telling us a little bit about who some of the key characters were, told us about Moses and some of his life, some of the, the big events that brought us to this point. But we're going to get down into the weeds this week and actually start digging in in, in chapter 1, verse 1. So I want to give you an encouragement before we get too far into this. I promise you, we may wander down into the weeds on a few things. There's some detail stuff that we've got to get to because without those details, the rest of the book doesn't make a lot of sense. So we want to set the picture so that you sitting here in California in 2019 can see some of the things that the people that were, were receiving this letter might have seen. So we're going to wander down into the weeds, but I promise by the end we'll come out the other side and it'll all make sense. So Pastor, De- Pastor Dave did an incredible job uh, in do- introducing us to Moses last week. Uh, Moses was a, is, is a key character, and the book of Deuteronomy, as we sit here and as we get into the text this week, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermon. It's his final opportunity to share with these people that he's been leading for, for years and years and years. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to spoil the end of the story for you. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says farewell. Moses dies. And uh, so this is, his, this is his final word. So there's many stories that are familiar from Moses' life. You guys probably recognized many of those stories last week as we were talking about the book. He was the, the baby that was found in the basket in the river. He was uh, the man who uh, heard God speak to him audibly from a burning bush that didn't burn up. He led the people out of Egypt with all the miraculous plagues that God sent to, to free his people from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. And we remember that as he wandered through the wilderness, as they wandered through the wilderness, they came to Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments and Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. But there's some important things for us to, to remember and, and to set our mind around as we start into this book. Deuteronomy was written at the end of 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. We're going to get into over the next couple of weeks, because Moses gets into it, it's, he, he sets the stage for the rest of what he's going to be talking about by reminding them of where they've been. But for you, before we get into this, the reminder of where they've been, let me just tell you. God's people were given the land that they had been promised. They were brought right to the edge of the land, and as they came to the edge of the land, they were disobedient. And in their disobedience, God decided that they were no longer, those people were no longer going to have the opportunity to enter into the promised land, and they were going to be punished for their disobedience. They were going to be punished for their failure to do what God had told them to do. And so God said that entire generation was going to die off, and their children and their grandchildren were going to get the opportunity to go in and enjoy the land that they had been promised. So they had been out in the desert wandering around for close to 40 years. And as they have wandered around in the desert, this new generation has been born, and this new generation of children and parents and potentially grandparents over that 40 years they have come to a place where they're now the people that are following Moses. They weren't the people that had been led out of Egypt. They weren't the people that had been at Mount Sinai when God 
gave Moses the Ten Commandments and they came down off the mountain. These were the kids. These were the grandkids. So Moses is setting out in the book of Deuteronomy to tell them how God had interacted, to tell them how God had worked, and to tell them the great stories about how God had been faithful to his people, to those, those children's parents throughout the years. So Moses turns in the book of Deuteronomy and he turns to address this, this new young generation. <clears throat> I feel like as we've looked at some of the overview and as we start into this, it's a, it's a modern quote, but it feels like Moses knew uh, what I'm going to share with you guys. George Santaya, he said that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That's the, that's the tone, that's the feel of what Moses is trying to share here. Guys, if we don't remember the past, you're going to be destined to repeat it. So Moses and the people of Israel have approached the promised land, and before they enter into the promised land, we get the book of Deuteronomy. He turns to address the people, and he begins to share. Now, as I was studying, before we get too far into this, I have good news, because we live in 2019, and we have the internet And you can find anything on the internet. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful tool. But I have good news, because before we get too far into this, I have video footage of Moses and what he was dealing with for these 40 years as they wandered and wandered and wandered through the wilderness. Enjoy. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Not yet. Hey, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No, we are not. Are we there yet? No. It's been 40 years. If you've ever been on a road trip with your kids, I promise you, you've heard that wonderfully encouraging message from the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Moses has been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. And I promise you, over and over and over again, he wondered, and the people that were journeying with him wondered, are we there yet? No. Well, they're there. What we get in the book of Deuteronomy is is we've gotten to the edge of the promised land where they get to prepare to enter in. So we're going to look at at a chunk of the beginning of the book and let's, uh, let's see how Moses sets the stage for them entering in. Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's start with verses 1 through 5. These are the words which Moses spoke to all of Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, and Laban, and Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and Edri. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, Just like every good news story, 
We've got to start by setting the stage. We've got to start by answering the basic questions. Who, what, when, where, why, right? We can't know where we're going with the story if we don't know what's going on up to this point. So, verses 1 through 5 give us those details. Well, who? We see that Moses is the one he's speaking to the people of Israel, and he sets the stage by telling them some of the the people, some of the nations, some of the, the, the victories that they had won, and kind of sets the scene. What is Moses' goal? Well, he says that he undertook to expound this law. He's going to share with them the law that, that their parents had received and the ways that God had spoken and commanded and given them instructions. But this is not just a, a, a legal document of all the laws. This is Moses sharing as a, a pastor, as their leader, as someone who cared for them. He wants to lay out and expound for them the law that they, that they needed to hear. When was it? It was in the 40th year of their journey. Where was it? It was in Moab. After they journeyed from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, they finally made their way to Moab. And we're going to stick a map up in just a second that kind of helps set that picture a little bit uh, because I think it helps for us to see where they've gone and where they're heading to. And finally, why? Uh, He's preparing them. He knows the mistake that that their parents had made and that their grandparents had made 40 years ago as God had brought them to the edge of the promised land and they had failed to go in and failed to take it the way that God asked them to. And what he's doing is he said, I don't want you to make the same mistake that your parents made. Learn from their mistakes and be reminded that as we prepare to go in and take the land that God has given to us, don't make the same mistakes that your parents made. I think it's fun... Well, it's fun for me. It wasn't fun for them. But Moses does a a cool job of pointing out something that probably was a little unfortunate in their history. In verses 2 and 3, it says that it was an 11 days journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And then he says, in the 40th year of our journey, here we are. It was an 11 day journey that took them 40 years. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen this beautiful, wonderful screen that pops up when you're driving around town. I'm new to town, and I'm dependent on my GPS for everything right now. I like to feel like I can find a few places around town, but I'm still new, and the freeways are just a, a giant spider web of confusing to me. And so I'm dependent on the GPS for everything. And I'm cruising down the road, and occasionally I'll feel like I know where I'm going, and and I can find where I want to be without listening to it. Oh, it's going to take me over here. I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to go this way instead. And all of a sudden, you see this ugly, terrible screen pop up, recalculating, right? Recalculating. And when I see that screen, you know what I do? I hold my breath, and I watch the estimated arrival time. How much time did I cost myself by not following the directions? Hopefully it's only a couple of minutes. Hopefully it's, oh, I cost myself six minutes. You know what? Moses and the people of Israel wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, seeing that recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. They didn't follow God's directions, and it cost them 40 years. Their arrival time jumped a lot. It cost them 40 years because they didn't follow God's instructions. So we're going to wander down into the weeds. Stay with me. 
I think this will help. I know the map is small, uh, but let's, let's see if we can paint a picture for you a little bit and just give you an idea of where the people have been up to this point. So if you squint real hard, if you look up in the top left of the map, you'll see Egypt. You see Egypt, that's where the people of Israel were in bondage. That's where God set them free from Pharaoh with the plagues, right? So we see that they were up there and they start to follow this line down to the middle, the bottom middle of our screen. We see them cross over the Red Sea where God did that miracle. We see them work their way all the way, all the way down to the bottom. And as they work their way down to the bottom, that region down at the bottom of the peninsula is called Horeb. It's where Mount Sinai was. And it's where, you guys remember, Moses received the Ten Commandments, right? So we see our our people wander down to this bottom part, and they spend about a year there. The Bible tells us they spent about a year at Mount Sinai, receiving God's commandments, learning to be God's people, learning to worship and learning to obey. They had some missteps there where, uh, you guys remember, Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments, and they didn't see God or have a God to worship, so they built themselves the golden calf, right? You guys remember that story? Moses comes down off the mountain, and, and the first commandment is, have no other gods. We didn't get far through the Ten Commandments before the, the people had already broken the commandments. He comes down, and they've already got a, a God that they have created with their own hands to worship. And he gets mad, and he loses his temper, and he breaks the tablets that God had just given them. If God hand-wrote a note to you, please don't smash it on the ground as soon as you come down off the mountain. Moses did. He lost his temper and he went back up and God gave him a copy. Thank goodness. But they spent a year there learning to be God's people. This is the point where we get that 11-day journey, right? Because from there, down at the bottom of our screen, the promised land is up straight north of there. You'll see where the Mediterranean Sea comes over, that sea land, the the coastland there, you may see Canaan kind of up near the top of the map. That's the promised land. That's where they were promised that that's where they were going to be able to go and have their land and and be the people. And so they start working their way north and that 11-day journey that it talks about is that journey from down at the bottom to Kadesh Barnea, right kind of at at the corner at the southern entrance to the promised land. So they journey 11 days up and some stuff happens there and that's where they get turned away and they don't get to enter into the promised land. And so they they wander from that point, they go and wander around in the wilderness down here on on the east edge of our screen. And finally, we worked our way up to the very top of the map now. That's where we're at now, at Mount Nebo is up there, uh, Jericho is up there, a city that's just into the promised land. The Jordan River is right there as the kind of the border before they go into the promised land. So several of these areas right there, they're all clustered right there together within a few miles of each other. And that's where we're going to find a lot of our happenings in the book of Deuteronomy. So they had, they had gotten there, and now 40 years later of wandering around in the desert, they've come to the east gate of the promised land, and God has brought them again go in and take the land. So, if that's really small and and looks really detailed and it's hard for you to see, I printed a bunch of maps and stuck them back at the info center. Grab one on your way out. I promise, as we go through all of this stuff, having 
having a framework for where things are happening and where things are going on and where they've gone and where they've come to, it'll help. I promise. Okay? So God has brought them up to the top of our map, to Mount Nebo, to the land where they were preparing to enter into the promised land. God had given His people a second chance. And Moses stands up before them with this book of Deuteronomy and says, guys, let's, let's not mess this up. Let's not miss the boat like your parents missed the boat. And by knowing their past, they could hopefully avoid the mistakes of their fathers and continue into the promised land. So let's look at verses 6, 7, and 8 now. We'll jump into the actual narrative of what's going on here. And in verse 6 it says, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb. What was the mountain? Where was that at? You remember? That was down at the bottom, right? That was Mount Sinai. The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go up to the hill country of the Amorites and to all of their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See that I have placed the land before you. Now, go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to their descendants after them. We jump into the story. We see that they had spent a year at at Mount Sinai learning to be God's people. We see that, that God had been working. And we see, he says, now it's time to go. And so they, they set out. All of the people mobilize and they begin north. God promises them, he says, I have placed this land before you. God had promised this land to Abraham uh, about 250 pages ago. He had promised this land. He said, Abraham, this is the land that you will inhabit. This is the land that your people, that your family will one day live in. That you will be a nation of my people. And God had promised this land to them. And as He promises this to them, as He sends out the people, these aren't people that have never seen God work before. I want you to remember that that these people, the parents and the grandparents that that went from Mount Sinai up to Kadesh Barnea, as they were entering, hopefully preparing to enter into the promised land, these were people that had seen God work mightily just a few years earlier. They had been slaves in Egypt and God had set them free by sending plague after plague after plague and breaking the spirit of one of the most powerful men in the world. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had said, we're no match for your God. Get out, take your stuff, take your families and leave. And he even paid them to leave. Take our stuff, just go. And they had seen God rescue them from this terrible bondage. So then they got sent out into the wilderness and you know what God did? He continued to provide for them. He continued to take care of them. And the promise that these will be my people, God fulfilled that. He sent them out into the desert and they thought they were going to starve to death and and God sent manna. He sent quail. He sent water to come forth out of a rock. These were not people that had never seen God work before. These were not people who were unfamiliar 
with the goodness and the power of God. But they still forgot. They still forgot. God commanded them, go in and possess the land. Let's continue in verses 9, 10, and 11 now. It says, I spoke to you at that time saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more and bless you just as he has promised you. Another promise that they had seen that Moses reminds them of was the promise that God had given to their great-great-great-great-grandfather, Father Abraham. You guys remember the kid's song, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Well, by this point in the story, Father Abraham had many, many, many sons. All of them were Abraham's family. God had promised to Abraham, I will make you a great and a mighty nation. I will give you offspring that will be greater than the dust of the earth, that will be greater than the sand on the sea, that will be greater than the stars in the heavens. Have you ever gotten away from the city and looked up in the sky? Get away from all the city light and go out, just you know, wander up the mountain somewhere and look up at the sky and try to count the stars. Well, Abraham, he didn't live near Los Angeles. There weren't lights. So he could look up at the sky and see the stars. There were millions of them. Seems like an endless number. And God said, look up at the sky. Your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, they will be greater than the stars that are in the sky. So Moses, as he turns now and addresses the people and reminds them of how great they have become, it's another opportunity that he's saying, guys, look around. The, the giant herd of people that you're walking with, the, the great crowd that you're standing in the middle of, you're standing in the middle of a giant fulfillment of one of the promises that God has made. Every person that you bump into should be a reminder to you of how great our God is and the fact that God keeps His promises. When God tells us something, He means it. God doesn't welch on His promises. God doesn't make mistakes and go, oh, my bad. Ignore that one. God kept all of His promises. And they're reminded as they look around how beautifully God had kept that promise to Abraham and turned them into a great and mighty nation. So let's continue on in our passage, verses 12, 13, 14, and 15. Moses says, How can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? Choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and appointed them heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds and of fifties and of tens, and officers for your tribe. You know what Moses is saying here? Moses is saying, I need help. Moses has been often referred to and considered one of the greatest leaders that we've seen in the history of the world. Moses led some incredible numbers of people through some incredible difficulties and incredible challenges. But Moses stands here today and says, there's too many of you, I can't do it. And I think it's important for us to remember and to pause here 
and to realize no matter how great the leader is, men are going to fall short. But there's good news in that. That no matter what man God puts in a position of leadership, no matter what people may be leading our country, no matter what people may be leading your work situation, no matter what people may be around you that that God has put over you, you know what? God's plans are greater than men. And God came through for Moses because Moses realized I'm not enough on my own. And God said, it's cool, I got a plan. And God gave Moses elders. And God gave Moses leaders over the thousands and over the fifties and over the tens. And God put people in place where even though Moses wasn't able to do it, God's plan still pushed forward. God's plan still moved on. Moses wasn't enough, but our God is. So let's look at verses 16, 17, and 18. These verses feel a little out in left field, but I promise you it's very good for us that they're in here. Verses 16, 17, and 18, it says, Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen, or the alien who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring it to me, and I will hear it. I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. If we can do this really quick, I want to give you 60 seconds of seminary to help us kind of set a really important principle for us as we go through the rest of this book of Deuteronomy. Because it's important for us to remember as we look at some of these passages some of these commands, some of these places where God speaks or where Moses speaks, it's important for us to remember that they had a very specific meaning for the people that received them at that time. Every time we open up the Bible, that doesn't mean that God is speaking directly to you and giving you the exact command that it says in those pages in in 2019 in the state of California. God might be giving the people here a command, and while that command may not apply to you, we're, we're not going to take this passage and say, all right, our church needs to appoint judges. We need to decide who are the wise people among our group, and they're going to deal with cases, and they're going to they're deal with arguments and difficult, challenging things. That wasn't written to us. But you know what we can do? This, book, th- this passage, this thing right here that it says, it might not be written directly to us, but it can still tell us a lot about our God. It can still tell us a lot about how God works with His people. It can still show us principles of of who God is and how He interacts with us. So while we read this passage, we might see them say, choose for yourselves judges. That, That doesn't fit for us. There are other places in the book that it's going to tell us laws about how we should deal with our cattle, about how we should deal with our Workers who work in our house. Well, most of us don't have herds of sheep at home or herds of cattle at home or a staff full of people that work for us at home. But those laws have principles in them. Those things that God commanded them, we can see how God wants us to interact with one another, how God wants us to work. 
And here as we look at this passage, as we look at this command to choose for yourselves judges, you know what we see? We see that God loves people and that people are created in the image of God. That whether they are socially on the top rung or the bottom, God wants fairness and equality and justice to be served without partiality. People are created in the image of God and people are valuable. That's something that we can take away from today. We even see that in modern imagery. Lady Justice, you guys know the the picture, right? She's got the blindfold on. As she weighs the scales of justice, she has the blindfold on. And we get that from ideas like this that come from Scripture. That justice is to be distributed without partiality, without consideration of wealth, without consideration of social standing, without consideration of race or nationality. God desires that that we would deal fairly with one another. So while the exact application here for the people 3,500 years ago may not fit, the principle stands and the principle remains. We're going to see that a lot in this book. I just want you to kind of set that expectation in your mind. Let's continue. Verses 19, 20, and 21. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, the promised land, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. God delivers them to the land. He brings them to the land. He he brings them to the edge of this place that that He has promised them. This is a good land. This is the land that that I have brought you to. And as they've been wandering through the wilderness, they come to this place. I I, I found a picture of what was probably a a pretty clear... This is actually taken from uh, Kadesh Barnea. Modern day Kadesh Barnea. We don't have Moses' film, but, but we have modern pictures and... Imagine them walking through the desert, wandering through the sandy wilderness, and coming to this place where green stuff grows. Wow, God has brought us to a good land. And He tells them, go in and take it. And then He tells them right at the very end of that, do not fear or be dismayed. Faith has been described as obeying in spite of our circumstances and our consequences. So for them to have faith, for them to know and to trust that God meant what He said, go in and take this good land. Do not fear. There's not much else to that discussion, right? Who cares what the inhabitants look like? Who cares where we should go in or how we should go in? God has promised He's going to give us victory. Let's just obey and go do it. How much evidence did they need? He commanded them, go and take possession of it. And do not fear or be dismayed. So let's keep reading. 22 through 25. Then, right after, like seven words earlier, do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me and said, let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. This thing pleased me and I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. 
And they took some of the fruit in their land, in their hands, and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. If I'm Moses and I've seen God's faithful promises time after time, you know what my response is to those spies who they sent out and came back and said, it's a good land that God's going to give us. You know what my thought was? Well, duh. Of course it's a good land. Of course it's... You know what? God promised and God told them, this is a good land that you're about to enter into, and they doubted it. And they had fear. He just told them, do not fear or be dismayed. And you know what they did? They said, hey, we need to be strategic. We need to figure out, we need to send in spies so that we can figure out what the land looks like. Make sure that it's a good land. Make sure that we can figure out how God wants us to go in and and how we might be able to conquer this land effectively. How we might make sure that if we're just strategic enough that we can be victorious. Strategy wasn't where they should have placed their hope. The spies' report is not how they should have known that it was a good land. You know how they should have known that it was a good land? Because God told them that it was a good land. You know how they should have known that they were going to go in and be victorious? Because God told them that they were going to go in and that they were going to be victorious. Of course it was a good land. But we come to this point. We see Moses couple of different times already reference the promises that God has given, the way that God has fulfilled those promises, the ways that God has been faithful to these people that they and their parents and their grandparents have seen God work time and time and time again. And Moses is standing here in front of them saying, guys, don't forget how good God has been to us. Don't forget how God has followed through on His promises. And as we Press pause here. We're at the end of of what we're going to bite off this week. We see them come to the edge of the land. We see God tell them, do not fear or be dismayed. And their response is fear. It's an important message for us to hear today. We may not be the people of Israel We may not have been wandering around in the wilderness for the last 40 years. But you know what I can tell you from their story? I can tell you that God is faithful to keep His promises. I can tell you that that God has a plan and that no circumstance is going to get in the way of that plan. I can tell you that no problem that seems insurmountable to you is going to ruin God's plan for your life. I'm not promising you that that everything's going to be perfect and that everything's going to be easy. But I am promising you that our God is a whole lot bigger than whatever it is that you have to face in your life. God has been faithful time and time and time again to provide for the people of Israel. And we will continue to see that as we walk through the book of Deuteronomy. But we can stand here today, modern day time, in whatever situation it is that you're facing, and we can know our God, our God keeps His promises. Our God is going to come through for us. And with that, let's go to Him and thank Him for that. God, we come to You this morning. God, we thank You that, God, that just as we have seen 
in your word, in your interactions, in your dealing with the people of Israel. God, you keep your promises. God, there is no situation that is too great for you, that is too out of control for you. We may fear, but God, we know that nothing brings fear to you. That fear and worry and panic have no place in in your mind. God, we pray that we would realize as the people of Israel needed to realize. God, we have a great and powerful and mighty King that we serve. We praise You as that great and powerful and mighty King this morning, and we pray that whatever worldly wisdom may tell us, that we would trust that You're in control, and that no situation, that no circumstance can thwart Your plans. We praise You, we worship You as the King who is in charge and is in control of everything this morning. Help us to rest in knowing that You're in control. Amen.